remember that. What made it the best day ever? Any thoughts? Are you thinking about that right now? Are you still waking up? When was the last day you said, this is the best day ever? Well, there's a lot of reasons why we might consider the day the best day ever. And uh, these guys can help us uh, figure that out just a little bit. What is the best day of your life? You mean ever? Yeah, best day ever in your whole life. And you can't do when your kids were born. That's too easy. I got one. Seven years old, and my dad takes me to Yankee Stadium. My first game. We're going in this long, dark tunnel underneath the stands. I'm holding his hand, and we come up out of the tunnel into the light. It's huge. How green the grass was, brown dirt. And that great green copper roof, remember? And we had a black and white TV, so this was the first game I ever saw in color. Sat there the whole game next to my dad. Taught me how to keep score. Mickey hit one out. Good day. And I still have the program. All right, well, what was the worst day you ever had? Worst day. A couple of years ago, Barbara finds a lump. What? You never said anything. Yeah, well, you know, it turned out to be nothing, but that whole day was... Yeah, but that was a good day. How? Because it turned out to be nothing. Yeah, but the whole day until then was horrible. Yeah, but it came out good. You're a real, the glass is half empty kind of a guy, you know that? You know, isn't that interesting? Sometimes the best day ever is held in tension with the worst day ever. And then other times, they're just a, a standalone day. All right, I got one. My best day. No, my wedding day. What? Yeah, remember that day? Outdoor wedding. Arlene looked great. You guys were all smiling at me. And my dad, in the front, gives me a little wink. You know? I mean, he's not the warmest of men. But he winked. You know, I was the first one of us to get married and have a real job, and I remember thinking, I'm grown up. You know, I'm, I, I'm not a goofball anymore. I made it. I felt like a man. Best day of my life. What was your worst day? Every day since is a tie. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have those best days, and then sometimes the rest of the days are a tie for the worst day. And, uh, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't say my best day also was the day I got married. Oh, there you are, Cindy. Yeah. <laughs> Getting in trouble. No lunch for... Oh, very... Oh, look at that. Perfect. And uh, then there, there are some days, uh, again, that are really held in tension between best day and worst day. And sometimes they can happen in the same moment. All right, Ed, your best day. What is it? I don't want to play. Well, we did it. I don't feel like it. Okay. I'm 14 and my mother and father are fighting again. You know, because she caught him again. And I finally realized he wasn't just cheating on my mother, he was cheating on us. So I told him, I said, you're bad to us. We don't love you. I'll take care of my mother and my sister. We don't need you anymore. And he made like he was going to hit me, but I didn't budge. And he turned around and he left. 
never bother us again. But I took care of my mother and my sister from that day on. That's my best day. What was your worst day? Same day. See the tension there? Best day, worst day, connected. This morning as we look at X Esther chapter 5, we're going to see a number of characters and at a glance, some look like they're having their best day ever. Others look like they're having their worst day ever. And then some, it all comes together, especially for Esther. It's her worst day, but then it turns into her best day. And all through Esther, we've been seeing that uh, it's Esther and the unseen sovereign, that God's name is not mentioned in the book of Esther, but we see his fingerprints over everything that is going on. I love what uh, C.S. Lewis says. He says, coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. And you see all these things fitting together. You even heard Anna when they came to the United States. All these pieces uh, fit together. And that was God's hands behind uh, what was going on. And uh, we see that often when we look at life and we see pieces falling into place. We realize that it's actually God's fingerprints all over what's going on. So let's uh, take a look at Esther. We're going to see the best day ever for Esther. And uh, you can look at this on in Esther chapter 5. As I said, if you're following along using that rack Bible, it's page 346. Also, we'll have the verses up on the screen. And if you don't have a paper copy of the Bible, please feel free to take that rack Bible as a, as a gift from Seneca Community Church. Also, there's a great uh, app that uh, you can put on any electronic device called Uversion, and it puts the Bible right on your phone, your iPad, whatever. And so uh, please uh, take advantage of that. That's pretty awesome. It is free, and that's great that they do that that way. So the best day ever for Esther, and we'll start off in verse 1. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. And uh, if you don't remember, this was a, a very risky move on Esther's part. She had not been with the king for 30 days. They're married. And that also means that probably King Xerxes had been enjoying the company of other women in the palace. So it had been 30 days, and you couldn't just, like, enter the throne room. You had to be requested and if you entered the throne room without a request or without an invite, uh, you were probably going to be under penalty of death. And that was the regular kind of thing. And so Esther is really unsure of doing this. Last week we saw that um, she's compelled to do this for various reasons. We'll talk about a few of those in a moment. So this is a big moment. What is happening? And she's dressed in her um, queen royal robes and very respectful, just really trying to honor her husband the king and we all know that king xerxes really was a guy who on reality really shouldn't have any honor because he was a not an honorable man but he is king he is in charge he has all the power and so she comes into his presence trying to figure out what's going to happen for her people then the king asked what is it queen esther what is your request even up to half of the kingdom it will be given you if it pleases you the king replied to Esther, let the king together with Haman come to a banquet I have prepared for you. So we have him, he extends his scepter, she touches his scepter, and she welcomes him, and basically he's saying, come to a meal. So we see next verse, uh, bring Haman at once, the king said, 
so that we may do what Esther asked. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. As they were drinking wine, the king again asked Esther, Now what is your petition? It will be given you. And what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. This seems to be like a little uh, slogan all along. We see these kings, even we see uh, King Herod say this uh, in Jesus' days, and, uh, you know, basically kind of showing off, uh, I'll give you up to half the kingdom. They really don't do this, but they're just trying to show how generous they want to be and how much they have. Then we read on, Esther replied, my petition and my request is this. If the king regards me with favor and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet I will prepare for them. Then I will answer the queen's or the king's question. So we start to see Esther having the best day ever. And at first it doesn't seem like that, but things are starting to come together. This is not by coincidence. This is by the hand of God. So as we think about what's changed in her life, we talked about what she was like in the beginning. We see her perspectives, and her perspectives is based on these verses from chapter 4. Maybe you have been chosen to be the queen for such a time as this. She's starting to see that God has placed her in this position for some reason and is going to be to save her people. Uh, Mordecai, her cousin who raised her, reminds her that God is going to save um, the people anyway, but Esther can be a part of this process if she leans in, even though there is a lot of risk. And anytime you and I are going to do something that uh, is outside of our comfort zone, outside, we kind of lean in, and there's kind of this risk going on. And she conveys this by saying in verse 16, if I perish, I perish. She realizes that her life is on the line. And you and I, as we think about her perspective, she starts to put some things together. We find out in the Newer Testament, and an idea like this is God has made us what we are. In Christ Jesus, God made us new people so that we would spend our lives doing good things he already planned for us to do. And I love that last phrase, already planned for us to do. Because it reminds me, as I start every day, as we start every day, God has some things he's planned way in advance for us to be a part of. It's not that he's just trying to get a job done and, oh, I've got this job. I've got to empty the trash. I've got to do the dishwasher. I've got to make the bed. You know, I've got to mow the – it's not like that. It's that he gives us something so we can be included in his story and be used by him. And anytime I can be used by God, anytime we can be used by God, he has something for us to do. That is a wonderful thing, to be a part of his story. Uh, we also read in Matthew, and we see that uh, uh, Esther is starting to come to terms with this idea. She makes progress in her relationship with God. Uh, this is uh, what Jesus says, and Jesus says this, uh, Teacher, what command in God's law is the most important? This is being asked to Jesus. And Jesus said this, love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. This is the most important. This is the first on any list. So Jesus is talking about us loving God, being passionate about our love for God. Even in the Older Testament, that's what Esther and Mordecai and those who were to follow God were called to do, to really put God first place in your life, to seek first the kingdom of God, and then the rest of life starts to fall into place so uh, esther seems to be getting this she's putting god first as she starts to change her perspective remember last week she hadn't even heard about the proclamation 
that uh, Haman had initiated that all the Jews in the empire should be killed. And he said that's over 10 million people. She didn't even know about it. She was like insulated in the palace, even though that was her people. And so, again, as we've talked about even having Anna here this morning, it's not about being insulated from what is happening in our world so we can have a part in that, pray yes, but we can also have a tangible part by helping with our resources. Uh, we read on and we see this, but there is a second to set alongside it. Love others as well as you love yourself. Those two commandments are pegs. Everything in God's law and the prophets hang from them. And Esther's perspective begins to change and she sees about putting God first and also the value of others and loving others, even if it's a risk for her. So we also see that she has a perspective, but she also has this preparation. And so she's figuring out how to approach the king. That's why she puts on the, the royal robes. Uh, she's trying to honor him. She realizes she can frantically come in there and say all this and she won't have a good hearing. Now, we could say, well, that's kind of, uh, you know, not great on King Xerxes' behalf. Uh, the queen should be able to have access to the king anytime. But this is the world she's in. So she's trying to figure out how she should approach the king. And we've talked about this before. We say this in different ways, is that approach eclipses content every time. The content that you're trying to give to somebody, the truth that you're trying to give to somebody, if your approach isn't right, even though you are accurate, the person will not listen to you. Uh, I learned this as a, as a young father. My approach to my girls equips, eclipses what I'm trying to say to them. So if I'm tender and gentle, they may hear it. If I'm rough and harsh and, and not kind, they don't hear it. You trying to share your faith with people wherever you go, work and other places, uh, uh, where you live, um, in your neighborhood, uh, uh, where you shop. Uh, if you have truth but don't have the right approach, people aren't going to listen. And that doesn't mean we water down the truth, but we understand what our approach should be. Paul writes to the Ephesians and said this, let not harmful language come from your mouth, only good words that are helpful in meeting the need, words that benefit those who hear them. And the question we have to ask often, are the people we're speaking to benefiting by the words I share and how they share them? To be right and lose a hearing doesn't make a difference. So if their approach is right and then they hear it, that makes a difference. And Esther understood that with all that was going on with the king. That's why she approaches as she does. A verse that makes me feel incredibly uncomfortable is uh, from Jesus. In Matthew, we read, let me tell you something. Every one of these careless words is going to come back to haunt you. There will be a time of reckoning. You'll have to answer. I'll have to answer for my words. Words are powerful. Take them seriously. Now, first take we read that verse, we can feel very guilty and go, wow. But that's not the intent. The intent is to say, where am I now? How are my words going to be now? How can my words be better? So then not don't beat yourself up. Just start from this day thinking, how can I make my words helpful? How can I make sure I'm not careless about my words? Because my words do make a difference. They're very powerful. We could go look at James and see where he talks about the tongue. Words are powerful. 
Also, there's this idea of strategy. She has a plan. She has a strategy. And uh, we need to think through as we're communicating to people, as we're uh, pointing to people, we need to have a strategy. Often at the core, choosing is choosing what not to say. Uh, sometimes we're really fast to lay it on the table, but sometimes we need to hold back a little bit. We need to be gracious with our words. Uh, we need to understand that uh, you know we shouldn't say everything that comes to our minds, everything that we're thinking. We have to have a strategy if we really want to make a difference in another person's lives, life with our words. Uh, we also have to realize that God needs to be a part of our strategy. In Proverbs, uh, Solomon writes, Mortals make elaborate plans, but God has the last word. Humans are satisfied with whatever looks good. God probes for what is good. And in some of our previous messages on Esther, we've talked about how God can see inside our heart and he can kind of sort out our motives. So our relationship with God needs to be as tight as possible. It needs to be growing. We need to be making progress so that as God probes our hearts and speaks to our hearts, we understand that we're in lockstep with him, not asking him to be in lockstep, in a sense, with us. It goes on to say, but put God in charge of your work. Then what you've planned will take place. God made everything with a place and a purpose. Even the wicked are included, but for judgment. God can't stomach arrogance or pretense. Believe me, he'll put those upstarts in their place. So we've got perspective, we've got preparation, then we also see her patience. She's patient with how she's doing this. I, I, I don't know how she can just put it off, how she doesn't just say what's going on when um, King Xerxes extends the scepter, scepter, that she just doesn't just start telling everything there, but she is being patient. She's being slow, she's being deliberate, she's being strategic again. Uh, we read uh, in Psalm 27, Wait for, and wait for and confidently expect the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for and confidently expect the Lord. So this idea of in these conflicts, in these processes of communication, being patient, understanding when is the right time to say something and how to say it. Uh, sometimes we're not patient. Sometimes we take things into our own hands, and when we take them into our own hands, Quite frankly, they blow up. Uh, we're not going to take a lot of time with this, but back in Genesis 16, too, we remember Sarai, who becomes Sarah, Abram, who becomes Abraham. We remember that uh, they had been promised a child, and uh, it wasn't happening, and they were getting to be very ancient. So Sarah got a little nervous about this and offers Abraham, Abram, uh, one of her maidservants, to father, uh, to, to have a child. And uh, that wasn't God's plan. They got impatient, and uh, that creates a huge problem uh, because Ishmael and Isaac are at odds with each other. The nations that come from those two lines are at odds with each other even today. That's our Jewish friends and our Arab friends. They are at odds with each other. And if Sarah and Abraham had not taken things into their own hands, you would not have this same kind of situation. So that's a huge ripple effect. But even in our lives, when we take things in our own hands and don't patiently wait before the Lord, it creates problems. Now let's look at best day for Hammond. Hammond is just on top of the world. Things are going wonderful for him, in theory. 
Haman went out that day happy and high spirits. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, calling together his friends and Zareth, his wife. Haman boasted to them both about his vast wealth, his many sons, and all the ways the king had honored him. And now he had evaluated, elevated him above all the other nobles and officials. And that's not all, he said, he added. I'm the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave. And she has invited me along with the king tomorrow. But all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see the Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. And then his wife uh, chimes in and gives some advice. We all, all ought to have a wife like this. His wife, Zareth, and all his friends said to him, have a pole set up reaching to the height of 50 cubits. That's approximately 75 feet. And ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Talked about that last week. Then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. This suggestion delighted him, and, and he had the pole set up. So you just picture this. Evening dinner, Haman comes home, calls all his friends together and says, hey, I am the man. Look what's happening in my life. Just totally blindsided. He's having the best day ever. And it's all about, if you've read ahead, about the fall in on him. He said, and then this suggestion about the 75-foot pole. This is probably taller than most buildings. Um, in Susa, it, it might not be taller than the palace, but all the other buildings, this is going to be visible. Everybody's going to see it. Um, Mordecai, I mean, uh, Haman's going to have his day and just show that he is the number one guy by this. So we take a look at Mordecai's um, perspective. Uh, we realize that uh, he is just self-centered, obviously evil, just into himself. Uh, James tells us, where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? You think they just happen? Think about Think again. They come about because you want your own way, fight for it deep inside yourself. You lust for what you don't have, and you're willing to get, kill to get it. You want what isn't yours, and you will risk violence to get your hands on it. We all go, yes, that's Hammond. But what's written to what James is writing is to us as believers. So it's very easy to say good and bad. We see Hammond over here and over here. But you and I can have some of these perspectives, and we need to understand that. And we need to ask ourselves, where are our quarrels coming from? Uh, where are our issues coming from? Is it inside us? Are, are we a part of that problem? And James is just pointing out to this that Christ followers can have this going on in their life. Thinking about uh, his preparations, obviously he's preparing uh, these gallows or these uh, this uh, pole to impale uh, Hammond. Uh, his preparation, he's already uh, had the edict go out under the hand of Xerxes about uh, killing all the Jews uh, the day before Passover is supposed to start. And uh, we can think about his preparations and just think about what's going on in his life. Mean-spirit ambition isn't wisdom. Boasting that you are wise isn't wisdom. Twisting the truth to make yourself sound wise isn't wisdom. It's the furthest thing from wisdom. 
It's animal cunning, devilish conniving. Whatever you are trying to look better than others or get the better of others, things fall apart and everybody ends up at the other's throat. Again, James is not writing this to just, quote unquote, bad people, evil people. Uh, He's writing this to Christ followers. Be aware of this. Ask yourself where your ambition comes from. Do you have ways that you express the heart of Haman? You just don't have the power to do it. We talked about that a couple weeks ago where, you know, everyone would bow in the presence of Haman. And sometimes you go, wow, that'd be kind of cool to enter into a room and everyone stop talking and take a knee. Wow, I'm pretty, you know, pretty cool stuff. And uh, so sometimes it's just that we just don't have the power to execute some of these heart conditions that we see in Haman's life. And we need to ask ourselves about that. Uh, Patience, uh, he has none. He has none. Gathers his family together, friends together. It's probably late at night. Builds a gallows. Uh, you know, there's no, no patience. And uh, when you and I are controlled by whatever emotion, rage, jealousy, uh, are just driven that way, we find ourselves like this. We find ourselves like a wall without, a city without a wall. A man without self-control is as defenseless as a city with broken down walls. And when we let all those kinds of things run wild in our life, we find ourselves in this place. So, what constitutes the best day ever for us as a Christ follower? What does our perspective need to be? I think our perspective needs to be this. Jesus talks about this. When he saw the crowds, he felt sorry, had compassion for them because they were hurting, distressed, confused, harassed, and helpless, discouraged, dejected, like sheep without a shepherd. When you see people just aimless, when you see people uh, just distressed and confused and discouraged, and, and sometimes they've created some of their own problems, our response should be what Jesus' response is. She, they, he sees them as a person without a shepherd, and he has compassion for them because he wants them to have a shepherd. When you and I find ourselves in those places where um, we're, we're feeling all those kinds of feelings, we need to ask ourselves, how big of a part is Jesus playing in our lives to be our shepherd? As a Christ follower, God wants, Jesus wants to be our shepherd. And as we saw last week, I uh, stand at the door and knock uh, on the outside. We, even as Christ followers, can kind of keep Jesus, keep God at arm's length. And uh, we need to ask ourselves, are we actively engaged with Jesus being our shepherd. And so as we think about all of this, we think about what should our preparation be to have some of those best days ever. Uh, Jane, or First Peter reads, But in your heart set Christ apart as holy, acknowledging him, giving him first place in your lives as Lord. Always be ready to give a logical defense to anyone who has asked you to account for the hope and confidence and assurance uh, you have. And do that with gentleness and respect. So you and I are to be prepared in this way and prepared and ready. Prepared that at any time we can share why we have a hope. And in these uncertain times, this is a reoccurring theme. In these uncertain times, Christ followers should shine brightly as they reflect the love of God, love of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit. Because uh, he's holding us, he's shepherding us. And so times like this, in a sense, are uh, are welcome in the sense that we can point to him and it's a distinct light in a dark world. 
Also, we have to ask about our patience. And Isaiah 40 is a very familiar passage uh, about patience. But those who trust in the Lord will become strong again. They will be like eagles that grow new feathers. They will run and not grow weak. They will walk and not get tired. So you and I, leaning into God, following his lead in his life, his promptings on our hearts, we can find that sometimes you and I ought to be patient and slow everything down and wait for him to work. So as we think about Esther and we think about best day ever and we think about these different uh, positions, these different people, we think of Haman, he's about not to have the best day ever the next day, uh, but he doesn't think, he's not reflective, he doesn't realize that. Esther starts her day very nervous. Uh, It's the worst day ever. She's putting it on the line and finds it's turning into the best day ever. So for you and I, as we think about our bottom line, make today your best day ever with perspective, with preparation, and with patience. Add those three things to life, and you'll find that you have more better days. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for this time this morning. We thank you for hearing an update about uh, Ukraine and all that's going on there. And uh, we thank you that we have an opportunity to help with that. Lord, we also just pray that as we look at our personal worlds and what we're dealing with, that we would have uh, more better days ever than less. And we understand that they can kind of be in tension with the worst day ever. But help us to uh, have that patience. Help us to be prepared and help us to have your perspective. We ask all of this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.